Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we're going to look at scriptures in Easter. I hope all of you had a wonderful Easter day as we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. On Good Friday, he was crucified and taken down from the cross about 3 p.m. before sundown. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. And on the third day, Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. Now, we will celebrate seven weeks of Easter. Seven weeks of Easter. This is the second week. We call this a week of second Easter. And then that will follow with Pentecost, which means 50. So if you add those days up, it's 50 days and then Pentecost. And we'll say more about Pentecost when we get there. Week of Second Easter. Now we're going to be looking at scriptures from the Old Testament in Daniel, in 1 John, the epistle, 1 John, and in John's Gospel and a couple of days in Luke. As you can see on your program, the scriptures are listed there for you. So what you do, or recommend it, is that you read these on a daily basis. You look them up in your scriptures in your Bible, and read along. And think about these scriptures and pray about them, pray over them, pray that God would bless you. Again, if you have a study Bible, study Bibles at the bottom of the page have notes regarding the scriptures. That's a pretty common thing that people buy nowadays. And that may help you. But if you do not have those, just read through the scriptures and listen to this program, and we'll give you an overview of the week. All right, let's go to Daniel. Daniel is quite an extraordinary person. In fact, I would say he's my favorite uh, character in the Old Testament. He's an extraordinarily godly person, and we're going to be looking at uh, Daniel 1, 2, and 3 for this week. Uh, Daniel uh, is in Chapter 1, 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This is the Babylonian king, and he was very, very dangerous. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Aphpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, verse 4, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude of every kind, of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. They were led into captivity, beginning in about 601 B.C., and extending all the way through 587 where the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was pretty much destroyed also by the Babylonians. The king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, 
Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So I'm very familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were the three people in the fire. But Daniel, Belteshazzar, I'm going to stay with Daniel. Okay? So they worked in the king's palace. Verse 8 is very important. Daniel resolved himself not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. Notice how God was on his side to show him favor. Now that's a wonderful theological concept. Daniel decided not to defile himself before the Lord and to defile himself as a follower of God. So he made a pact with God not to do that. And he asked his official for permission to do so. And God granted him, Daniel, that permission by moving this official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. Very nice. So pray for sympathy with your employer. Pray for sympathy with the people that you work with. Pray that God would move the people in your life uh, in such a way that you would grant, you would be granted sympathy uh, from them and support. Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave, again, God is doing something. God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So the Lord blessed Daniel abundantly. He had blessed Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel abundantly. Okay? All right. They entered the king's service in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. Verse 20, he found them ten times better than all the musicians and chanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So uh, Daniel is uh, very, very well thought of. Now, in the second chapter, we have Nebuchadnezzar's dream. In his second year of his reign, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So what they did in those days is they had magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. So he says to the guys, I had a dream. I want to know what it means. O king, live forever. Tell us your dream, and we'll interpret it. And then he says, uh, if you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut off into little pieces and your house turned into a power of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive gifts and rewards, uh, rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret. Is it how are we going to do that? You need to tell us what the dream is and we'll interpret it. Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to tell them the dream that he had which they couldn't possibly have known, and we will interpret it. All right. So that is what happened. The king became furious in verse 12, and so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death because they couldn't do it, obviously. The men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, verse 14, the commander of the king's guard had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke with him and with wisdom intact, and he asked the king's officer, officers, why did the king issue such a harsh degree, decree? At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream. Daniel praised the God of heaven in verse 20, and 
Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and how power is his. He gives wisdom to the wise. So Daniel knew that God had the ability to give wisdom and understanding to people. He reveals deep and hidden things, verse 22. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. So he goes to Antioch, Arioch, verse 24, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men. Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I'll interpret the dream. He's going to die. So the king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel said, verse 27, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he was asked about, but there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He can give the answer, but I don't have the ability to give an answer. Your, your people can't give you an answer. Nobody can give you the answer. Only God in heaven. And so what he does in verse 31 following is he tells them what the dream was. Okay? Verse 36, this was the dream and now we will interpret it. So enjoy your reading about that. And then he talks about, in verse 39, after you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. A third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the earth. This is a very, very powerful, very, very powerful um, dream and a very significant dream. He's going to have a divided kingdom. And he, he just talks about this statue and what it looks like and what's going to happen. In verse 44, in the time of those kings, the king of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it, will, it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision. Verse 46, Nebuchadnezzar, this is the king, fell prostrate before Daniel, paid him honor, ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to re reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made them ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel remained at the royal court. So, Daniel is with the king of Babylon. He's exalted to a great position. He trusts the Lord. He asks God to take care of him. He does nothing nefarious, nothing sinful. The king has a dream, Nebuchadnezzar, and his people can't answer it. So he said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill, kill them all. He finds out about Daniel. Daniel not only tells him the dream, which is extraordinary, but he also interprets the dream. Chapter 3, 1 through 30, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he wants people to fall down, verse 6, and worship or they'll be thrown into a fiery furnace. Worship this image of Nebuchadnezzar. So, everybody bowed down when they were asked to do so. 
And anybody that did not do so, verse 11 of chapter 3, was thrown in the fiery furnace. But there were some Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, end of chapter 2, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king, neither do they serve your gods nor worship the, the image of gold that you set up. They're not going to bow down. Furious with rage, verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar summoned them. They were brought before the king. Is it not true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? When you hear the sound of music, you don't fall down. Then what God will, able, will be able to rescue you from my hand? Verse 15. Hey, what are you going to do now? I'm going to have you killed. I'm going to put you in the fiery furnace. They reported. I love this line. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But... Even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you set up. And see, at what point are you and I going to stand up for the Lord? At what point would you be willing to lose your life over it? It's a great question. They were willing to lose, you, lose their lives. But they knew that God could save them. But if he decided not to, they still were going to worship the Lord and do what he said. So he was furious. The furnace receded seven times hotter than usual. They tied him up. They throw, threw him in the furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the men who took him up. They died. They threw him into the blazing furnace. Wasn't it three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Certainly, O king. Verse 25. Look. I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the God. Some people think that's the pre-incarnate Christ. Nebuchadnezzar approached it, the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out here. Fire had not harmed their bodies, nor there was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. Verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar praised the Lord. Praise the, the God. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubber for there is no other God that can save in this way. So they were promoted. Isn't that crazy? To go from death to life in a promotion. In chapter 2, death to Daniel to a promotion by trusting in the Lord and doing what he said and then God showing them favor. Enjoy reading these incredible verses. First John. First John is located at the end of the Bible, after James, <coughs> Peter, and written by the Apostle John. And I'm not going to read every line for you uh, because the um, words are very simple to understand, but very hard to do. 
Lots of practical Christianity here in great theology. Chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay. So, the Apostle John, who was the writer of the Gospels, wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. And he's going to witness to them about Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, verse 2. And not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Verse 5, if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. Verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So, he's going to tell us how to live our Christian lives, and he's going to pepper it, this, these scriptures, with Christian doctrine. So we have Christian doctrine and Christian practice. The words are very, very simple in 1 John, but they're also very profound. Do not be uh, fooled by their simplicity and the depth, the profundity of their meaning. Verse 15 of chapter 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Beautiful text, beautiful doctrine, but also tells us how to live. Let's continue on in chapter 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and this is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know him. Verse 4 of chapter 3. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. When we break the law, we sin against the Lord. But you know that he appeared, Jesus, so that he might take away our sins. In him there is no sin. Another scripture that says Jesus never sinned. Okay? Now, Jesus came to take away our sins. He says in verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So someone has to die for our sin, take our sin, destroy the power of death, 1 Corinthians 15, but also destroy the power of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. 1 John 3, 8. Continuing on, on the last day, Saturday, 11 to 18, this is the message we heard from the beginning, we should love one another. That message has never gone away. We should love one another. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. End of John 16. Hated, they hated Jesus. They're going to hate you if you testify to Jesus. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. I just said that. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 
If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love. Does not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Just not saying, but actually doing. In actions and in truth. 1 John 1, 1 John 2, 1 John 3 is fantastic. Much like Daniel 1, 2, and 3. Read it slowly. In John 17, we are at the end of John. This is just before Jesus is going to be arrested. He has this extraordinary discussion. Uh, this is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, script, Wednesday scriptures, the, uh, the 17th chapter, where he has this incredible uh, uh, conversation with the Father, God. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. This is eternal life, verse 3, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life is to know God and to know Jesus. Okay? Verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you have given me to do. So Jesus' job was to do what the Father sent him to do. God's job was to send Jesus to die for us. Jesus' mission was to listen to the will of the Father and complete it and bring glory to God, which he did. Verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now remember, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are preexistent. They have no beginning and they have no end. They are what we call the Holy Trinity. Okay? And they had glory before the creation of the world the creation of the world, the creation of the universe. And he talks about his relationship with them, with the Father, and his relationship with them, them being the disciples. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, verse 15, but that you protect them from the evil one, back to the evil one that we heard about in 1 John 3. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth sanctify them by the truth. Remember, Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, verse 18, I have sent them into the world. Okay? For, all right. And then it, right at the end, let me just read the 26th verse before he's arrested. I have made you known to them. I, Jesus, have made you, God, known to them, the disciples. And will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. So the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. So what happens is that the believers in Christ experience this extraordinary relationship with Jesus, much like Jesus experienced with God the Father. So we have the opportunity to have Christ's love in us and the opportunity to have Jesus himself in us. And finally, let's look at Luke 3 and Luke 4. A couple of scriptures in Luke 3 and Luke 4 added on in, on Friday and Saturday. At the end of chapter 3, we have, let's see, 15 
through 22, we have the baptism of Jesus. And in chapter 4, we have the temptation of Jesus. These are very well-known scriptures. We see them, in, particularly in Matthew, very similarly. And we have the temptation of Jesus where the devil, back to the devil again, he's in all three books this week, um, in the Old Testament, New Testament, and the Gospel. In the temptation of Jesus, Jesus wins that battle as Satan tries to tempt him to sin. Remember, we just read in 1 John that Jesus had no sin. So, so thankfully, he never submitted to the devil's temptations. He was baptized to begin his ministry in chapter 3, begins his ministry, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness, and he is tempted by the devil. Well, great scriptures this week for the week of second Easter to Easter. I hope you're having a wonderful Easter, post-Easter, as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, and you enjoy Daniel, 1 John, John, and Luke. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.